And thinking has created this room. It's created ever, so many things. So it's a, it's all of civilization. It's been poured into our brain, and then it refines itself and elaborates itself. So it's not to say that thinking is no good, but typically what has happened is we're so obsessed with thinking and preoccupied with thinking that we don't know there's anything else. The truth is there's a vast, let's call it realm or field, in back of thinking or before thinking that is infinitely larger than all the accumulated thoughts of civilization because it's infinite. Okay. But we are not educated to value that or know how to get to that and tap it. So the issue is not so much to not think, but to be free of thinking so that we use thinking rather than be used by it. And we don't mistake like the thought, that person, the judgmental question, that person is no good, which is just a thought, with the person. Or we don't, we, or we don't uh, mistake a dis- the description of something with the described. You know, you, dis- you give a, a paragraph about something or someone, and you think that it's them or it. And it isn't. It's just a bunch of words about it. You, it's like the difference between a menu and a, and a delicious meal. It, there's a relationship, but it's also there's quite a gap. So there is room for thinking, but as you start in general becoming more mindful, many of us have found that the quality of our thinking changes and improves. So uh, pl- that, it's important to have that straight. There's nothing bad about thinking. Yes? Well, after uh, a number of hours of attempting to maintain attention on familiar subjects myself... Um, you mean here? I find, yes, here. I find myself really quite tired. And uh, going to bed early and, in fact, wanting to not be mindful. And when I go to, to the hall, dining hall, I actually find myself practicing unmindfulness. I'm walking around and judging and having fantasies. And <laughs> do you really need practice? <laughs> ah, that's a little different. But why do you need to practice it? Aren't you a master at it already? I think we all are. We know how to do that. We've been practicing all our life. This is an intervention. This is a radical intervention. Uh, the normal thing is, of course, to do just what you're saying. Yeah. Now, why you're so tired, and maybe you're trying a little too hard here, I don't know. change because uh, if it were that then the Buddha would have fallen over from exhaustion Uh, rather uh, supposedly I wasn't there but supposedly he was fresh and radiant and he only had a few hours sleep and taught almost around he was constantly doing things with people and in my own small way I know that it gives me more energy I'm not more tired because I meditate that if it were why do I need meditation I already know how to get tired yeah but Please check to see if you aren't trying a little too hard to really do this well, be a really good yogi. See if there's a little extra there. Sometimes there is, more than sometimes. Yeah, that's for all of us. Anything else about just about the day here? Please. Um, I'm really enjoying the silence. Mm-hmm. Normal day, 
Can you go into a little bit more detail? Maybe that'll inspire other people to do eating meditation while here. What, what happened during the course of being a little bit more mindful while eating? Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Full speed ahead, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. W- one more, and then I think we ought to. Please. No, but were, were you able to uh, get more in touch with your fear? Yeah. And not be so afraid of being afraid? Well, let's stay with that, if you don't mind. What happened when you when you did that? What happened to the quality of, of fear? It That's right. And um, and other things you've been saying have been falling into place, you know, I've been 
exactly what happened, which is how all things change, you know, nothing really stays the same. And so I want to say that Tuesday night, though, um, when, I mean, all that was wonderful, but I still was slightly afraid. I was thinking, okay, well, that happened then, but what, what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, I'm getting into the deeper, worse, something worse might happen. I mean, I might, I might be like, I knew what, I didn't know what would happen. But instead, um, I'm finding out that, that I, there's this process that's going on, which is um, why it just allow it to happen. Um, I'm learning to find peace in the midst of fear. And it's carrying through now, you know, as I'm walking around, I start to get the emotion. Um, I can return to this place inside of me mindfully and experience it. I used to think I would have to make the fear go away and get back to peace. Okay, uh, thank you, because that's a, a good transition into what we're about to, the instructions will change. They, they began to change yesterday, as you all know. Uh, I just want to leave, wrap this up, the question about thinking. Uh, finally, you'll see that uh, what the practice is, is a harmonious relationship between silence, action, thinking. There's, our life is composed of that. We, we think, we speak, we do things. But there's another dimension that most of us haven't tapped very much of at all. Inner silence. We know outer silence. Uh, we have a nice peaceful place to live or now and then just naturally we find ourselves very quiet and it's wonderful. But there's a depth to the mind that is unexplored for most of us. The only way to begin to taste that silence we have to learn how to let go of our attachment to thinking and doing. But it's not to stop thinking and doing. It's just to change our relationship to it, so that finally it's a harmonious uh, silence and action, and I'm using thinking as part of action, um, enrich each other. So some of what we're doing is to uh, pry ourselves loose from a pattern that's been to some degree destructive for us, so that we can come back and relate to thinking and doing in a very, very new way. Okay, that, that's just in general to try to sum things up. Uh, yes? Yes. Yes. Uh, you're saying a lot. Thank you. The, um, the, the movement that you're making now uh, is in a good direction because, you see, unless you learn what you're just saying, what happens can happen in, to meditators. We become like hothouse plants. You know, we, we can only be happy under certain conditions. 
uh, Omega, uh, Kripalu, you know, there's sort of these places, IMS, a church, or this or that. Uh, they're only special places where the conditions are controlled and limited. Whew, I can get in here, now I can... Be. Now it's good to have places like this, as we know, we're at one. But uh, the real peace has to uh, not be so conditioned, so dependent on... Because what's happening there is you're living with the fear, that fear may break in on your peace. And as long as you can keep it at bay, you're okay. But you know that you can't because it's there. Okay. So when it said that the Buddha mastered come what may seeing, that's what is meant. That means, can you um, get to the point where no matter what turns up is welcome, it's okay. If you do that, you can see how it's a giant step towards being free. Okay. Um, we're going to start, please stand up and stretch. And um, We're going to have a new set of instructions, which are an extension of what we did yesterday, yesterday afternoon. But really do it, whatever it takes so that you can sit. It won't be a very long sitting. It won't be longer than what we've been doing, but you've already been sitting for a while. By the way, when you reach that 15-minute point, when you're sitting alone, when you, you know, when you just, let's say you're sitting by yourself and you only reach that 15-minute point, you can just become aware of the resistance or how strong you want to get up and leave or whatever it was. And then you'll see you probably can do five minutes more. Yeah. Okay, let's, uh, assume a, as comfortable and stable a sitting posture as you can manage. The phrase that was just used, being at peace while fear was there, being able to peacefully be with fear. Um, more and more, uh, the remainder of the practice helps us grow into that. Uh, some of you are already doing it, and that's fine. This spider here is hungry for the Dharma. <laughs> what? Then, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, please get ready to sit. I'm going to be speaking, but don't look at me. You won't, all you'll find out is what I look like. That's not going to be of much help. For a few moments, come to rest in the breathing as we have been doing.
we've been pretty much. Focusing our energies, our attention on the breathing and all the other occurrences have been distractions from that one aim. So no matter how interesting or uninteresting the productions of the mind have been, the instructions have always been come back to the breath. And that's a useful skill to learn how to do. It's not a kindergarten exercise. It's not something that you outgrow. It's something that can be useful for you for the rest of your life. It's a very simple and direct way to help the mind get concentrated, grounded, feel some peace and joy. The more you do it, and as you learn how to do it, um, it'll be available to you as something that's very helpful throughout life, both on and off the cushion. The next set of instructions will be the final ones for our work together here, which we can practice with between now and the end of our retreat tomorrow. Still includes the breathing, but it's rather different in many respects. In a typical sitting, you would start off with a simple in and out breath. And if the mind becomes more calm, more steady, then what you can do is open the field of attention. I think the mic is not working. Open the field of attention so that you're sitting and breathing as before, only now you have a much looser grip on the breath. You're just in touch with it. And the attitude of mind now is one of openness to what's there. So that as we breathe in and as we breathe out, we're open to experiencing all that is other than breath. Now, bodily sensations, moods, sounds, smells, images, thoughts, etc., all the things that have been distractions for the first kind of training, training in shamatha. Now they're the field of attention. That's what we are open to, so that if I could 
act it out a bit to give you an idea of what I mean. You're sitting and breathing, and perhaps nothing seems to be happening. So you're aware of the breath, and perhaps you can then hear tremendous silence or some silence. So something is happening. What's happening is the silence. So you're sitting and breathing, aware of silence. Suddenly the sound of a machine starts, as it, as it has. So let's work with that since it's here. We're breathing, but really, probably you can't help but hear the sound of the machine. This form of meditation is called choiceless awareness. And in it, there's no agenda whatsoever. We're learning to sit and breathe. And having no agenda means exactly that. There's nothing in particular that's supposed to happen what we're aware of is what does happen, whatever appears. Again, we're not looking for anything. We allow the world to come to us. So we sit and breathe. Sometimes strong sensations in the body will quite naturally make themselves felt. So the awareness is there. Feeling the throbbing of the body or quality of lightness or heaviness or warmth or coldness. And then it fades away. And we're back with the breathing and sound, the sound of a machine, then a bird chirps, then silence. And suddenly your mood lightens, you feel happy. There's aware, awareness of that happy state. And perhaps the happiness comes to an end and you feel yourself grasping, trying to hold on to the happiness. Where did it go? And there's suffering. You become aware of the suffering. So the only reason we attend to something is because it's there. So I'm going to put this in a, a few slightly different ways. We're just learning how to sit right smack in the middle of our experience, whatever that experience is. The breathing helps us as a kind of anchor. If you find it an impediment, then don't use it. Later on, you may not need the breath to help, but it's always there anyway, so it will appear.
So we're learning how to just sit, as one teacher put it. We're learning the art of taking it easy and doing nothing. There's nothing in particular for you to do. We're not trying to get anywhere in particular. What we're learning is a state of openness, attentiveness. And the quality of that attentiveness is of the utmost importance. It's not for or against whatever turns up. We have to learn how to do that. So if fear turns up, the challenge is, can we be aware of the fear? Not as a word, but the energy. Feel it in the body. Hear all kinds of thoughts in the mind that are very frightening, perhaps images. Are we able to be mindful of that? Because that's what's there. And then it passes and is replaced by relief. Oh, it's gone. And we become mindful of that. And then suddenly there's some apprehension. Maybe the fear will come back. Some contraction in the body. Some worrying. If that's what's there, then that's what you're aware of. So I can't tell you what to attend to. Life does that. And sometimes you'll find yourself settling in with one object for an extended period of time. Really with it because it's strong and it's operating, certain energy is operating for a while and you're right there with it. You see it emerge and operate and change and eventually leave. And then maybe just go back to the breath once again. So we're learning the art of allowing and surrender that we learned on the breathing, with the breathing. If you recall, we were learning how to just let the breath unfold naturally. And our challenge was, could we be aware of that breath, whether it was deep or shallow or fine or coarse and so forth. And now the question is, can we surrender to our own consciousness? Can we allow consciousness to empty itself of itself? And if you can meet that emptying process with attention, with sensitivity, the mind empties itself into great silence and stillness and joy. One school of Buddhism calls enlightenment the Great Silence, with a capital G and a capital S. Well, we begin where we are. Each one of us is exactly where we are at this moment. But now, you've heard my words, and I hope you understand them. If not, we can clarify them later. But you may find that you're unable to do what I just said. When you start paying attention to a moving field, uh, seeing that everything is coming and going, coming and going, changing, arising, passing away, you get lost in it. You start psychologizing, analyzing, thinking. That suggests that you go back to the breath, 
in the way that we've been practicing for the first three days and fine-tune your attention the way you would fine-tune an instrument, a musical instrument. Maybe you finish up the whole sitting on the breath as an exclusive object once again, which you now know how to do. Sometimes all it takes is a few breaths like that and the mind is clear again, clear enough to then uh, open itself freely to whatever is there. So the practice of samatha vipassana unfolds in a very artful way. It's like a dance. And each sitting is different. Some sittings you find yourself very concentrated and so you can open yourself to that full play of the mind and body. At other times the mind is wild and it wouldn't be much point to doing what I just said. So you spend your time more fruitfully with the in and out breath. Many of us here today are beginners, relatively new and some of us really absolutely new to, to what we're doing here. My suggestion would be you do lots of what we've been doing for the first three days. That most of your practice would probably be best done that way, to really calm and steady the mind. And of course, daily life provides us with many occasions to develop wisdom. As the mind starts to become more calm, more steady, then you will, in your own practice, be able to do more of this free attention. Finally, as you're able to see the arising and passing away of everything, really, breaths come and go, moods change, thoughts come and go, the body is never the same. Sounds, now you hear them, now you don't. One of the main meanings of insight is insight into the changing nature of all formations, words, of all aspects of life, insight into the changing nature of it. That's a door that opens up into all kinds of profound understandings that are quite helpful. So as you become more familiar and confident with this field of happenings, you can't miss the changing nature of it. And so that lesson more and more will be learned and be taken inside, taken to the heart, and will have consequences in terms of how you live. Let's finish up this sitting. It'll only be a few minutes more. And I'll leave it up to you. Some of you may wish to continue working with the exclusive attention on the breathing. Some of you may wish to experiment with this other mode. In any case, you're going to have to learn how to use both of them in an artful way. So we may as well begin. Allowing everything to happen on its own.
body. And seeing how they all, without exception, arise and pass away. They appear and then they disappear. beginning to get to know this process of change itself, (coughs) independent of content, everything is arising and passing away. Some walking meditation, please. Beginning with a simple in and out breath. And if you feel the mind has settled down a bit, not so many waves, there can still be thoughts, of course, and moods and emotions, but they're not overwhelming. They're just floating in and out like clouds. Then you may wish to open the field of attention. Sometimes this method is called choiceless awareness. It's another name for vipassana practice. It's choiceless in two senses. One, we just sit. Some of you may have heard this phrase in certain schools of Zen. Just sit. That's what we're learning. It's very similar. So there's no choice in terms of what turns up. Now, we are using the breath to help out a little bit, so in that sense there's a bit of a choice. But eventually, even the breath is not anything special. 
Rather you just sit right in the middle of your experience. And it's choiceless in that we have no agenda. There's nothing in particular that we're trying to make happen or special objects to look at. Rather it's our ordinary life just as it is in this moment. As it presents itself to us. If you do this aspect of the practice, it's also choiceless in that we're not for or against whatever turns up. So everything is welcome. And when anything turns up, we're not for or against it. We just, we attend to it, we observe it. We open up to it. We enter into intimate contact with it. I'm using words to convey a receptivity, allowing, allowing the natural process to unfold, the natural process of the mind and the body, giving it full freedom to express itself. In doing this, we're also practicing, we're learning how to be ourselves. Kind of strange that we have to learn how to be ourselves, but it seems that we do. Who else can we be? But we try. So here you can relax, give up all your pet projects, worries, plans, hopes, schemes, all of it and just come to rest in the breathing. And from that place of openness, experience whatever's there. See it come and see it go. It's a bit like a parade once you enter into the spirit of it. Here come the tanks and the infantry the Air Corps, the Navy, they're all parading in front of you. Except now it's your mind, bodily conditions, sounds. Learning to relax and do nothing. But please understand this do nothing is not siesta time. It's not laziness. It's just that we're learning how to do nothing. Rather be in a state of receptivity, allowing life to come to us in whatever shape and form it wishes to. And learning how to be with that visitation, however it is. Once you enter into the spirit of this choiceless awareness, it's like putting a huge burden down. The burden of always trying to be this or that, to get here or there. 
in this practice, the way it is for you right now is perfect. Provides you with the perfect materials to practice with. Couldn't be better. Because it's your life in this moment. The mind being this way, the body being that way. Can our ordinary life be good enough? Can it be enough? Almost we always chase some shadow of becoming this or becoming that. There's only now. That's all there ever has been or ever will be. It keeps being now. Repeating once again that These instructions are clear verbally, but you find that your mind is not ready to do this kind of practice yet, that's fine. Back off from it. Return to the simple breathing. For those of you who are new, and for many of us, it would be a good idea to mainly do that first contemplation that we were doing, and then gradually grow into a more expansive and open mode of practice.
it's a different technique, uh, and uh, if you wish to use it, uh, uh, eventually you have to you drop the label. See, here the breath is used in the same way that the labels are used, so it's a bit redundant. But uh, if you're more drawn to that, then by all means. Um, it's getting too complicated. L let me. Um, Uh, we're still on something. Yeah. Um, let me describe the two uses of the breath that are being described here, and then we'll come to the labeling. Mainly, what we've been doing is just attending to the breath in an exclusive way. That's straightforward, and I'm sure you all understand that. But now, uh, we're open to the full field of our experience. Now, what's the point of the breath? Why do we need... Now, you could attend to the breath as part of your experience, which we've been doing, okay? But now, it's a, you're sitting in a state of receptivity, and so let's say fear comes up. You're lightly in touch with the breath. That helps you stay in touch with fear. You're, the main thing would be to be mindful of the fear, if it's a strong object, okay? So you turn to the fear. Now, you brought in the issue of, in some Vipassana school, really one Vipassana school, mental notes are used. So you would say fear, 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 right? That's what you're getting at. And that can help you stay with the actual energy of fear. That's really what's important. That's what will free you of fear. You can say fear, fear, fear for the rest of your life, but it's going to be very limited. The key thing is you have to become intimate with your own fear. You have to see deeply into it and to see that there's nothing to, f to be afraid of. Not as an idea. The energy just decomposes. It falls away. Okay. So the breath can help you do that. And at the beginning, what people report is it feels as if the breath is in the background. See, because if you're in touch with the breath, you're, you're doing less thinking. The problem is thinking comes in. Oh, my God, fear. This will never go away. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then it escalates, proliferates, and then you're in big trouble. It doesn't matter. Plug in whatever you want. Okay. So uh, the conscious breathing helps you stay with whatever that is, whether it's fear. It doesn't really matter. What I'm saying applies to everything, not only frightening things or negative things, anything. So that you're breathing in, I'm aware of X. Breathing out, I'm aware of X. Anything. Okay, now, so at, at the beginning... Many people will experience the breath as sort of in the background, but being helpful. It's kind of soothing. Uh, it kind of helps you. First of all, it cuts down a lot of unnecessary thinking. But as the practice develops, it, I don't experience it that way. For me, it's a unified field. Because you're always breathing. So the conscious breathing is amidst everything else. It kind of blends in. And a, a lot of the time, I'm doing the same thing you are. I'm doing choiceless awareness now, too. And whatever is there, I'm with. And there's the conscious breathing in the midst of it all. It's just a unified field. But you can't force that to happen. That grows out of use. Your question is, can I use a mental, mental note? And now, my own suggestion would be either use a mental note or the breathing. I wouldn't use both. Your mind will be too busy. It's okay with me if you know how to do it. Is that clear or is it? But there's a but in there. Yeah. Now, you see the baby books, you still 
No, you don't bother with. Look, uh, okay, let, let me. Here, you know, you're going to. Um, I haven't told you, dotted every I and every T, because I want you to find out from your own experience. But as you sit and breathe, sometimes things will come through and they're extremely vivid, they'll arrest your attention. Certainly, we know if the body is in pain, there's no question what the strongest object in town is. It's that one. Okay. So you're with that. Okay. At other times, there's sort of, you know, things just going through the mind. You barely, uh, they just, blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 you know, just going through the mind. It's a little bit like this. Let's say you live in a small town, okay, and you know most people, and you walk by, and just a little nod, they walk by, and suddenly there's a new person in town. Hmm, something like that. So there's no way you're supposed to be, but actually let your natural inclination, so that sometimes something will re you'll be with something maybe for the whole sitting, because it's so prominent and so uh, powerful. It arrests, it has your attention. At other times, there's a lot of just stuff floating in and out. I'm not trying to legislate how it's supposed to be. That's the whole point: is to let go of all notions about how life is supposed to be, and let life take care of that. Okay, does that help a bit? Yeah. One, there's another button there. Go ahead. <laughs> How so? Because I, I don't know. Um, because I seem to have this sort of, my main thing is I get sort of daydreaming, which is not clear. Like it's not meditation. Right. It's daydreaming. I don't, I'm sorry, I'm hard. You see, the, uh, the ma mantra is similar to the breath as an exclusive object, but how is that giving you the opportunity to get to know the full range of experience in your mind? Yeah, so you were observing the fear. Okay, I don't care what brand name you put on the practice. That, that's what we're learning how to do. But typically, that, that isn't the point of mantra. In mantra, you're supposed to become absorbed in the mantra. So it's very much like the breathing. So that, and you get very concentrated, you get a lot of energy, some joy, some bliss, some peace, all kinds of nice things. And those, that's good too, that's valuable. The breath does the very same thing. Exclusive attention to the breath. But you're not getting experience uh, you're not going to root out certain things, certain you're not because you're not going to get to know them, so that you'll have all this peace and joy, but it'll be superimposed upon, in modern terms, your unconscious or your subconscious stuff. Try that one again, please. No, no, no. Let's just try it again. There's no typical. Uh, I, I can. Um, when you sit on, let's say you go on a long retreat, I mean months, 
Okay. Okay. I've done that many times. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just trying to answer your question. Okay. Certain things come up when you sit, when you're quiet for that long that would never come up in your daily life because we're being absorbed by activities. Hi, do this, go there. Oh yeah, right. Okay, thank. So certain things come up and your mind is very, very calm and very, very concentrated and you're in an atmosphere with support and teachers and so forth. And so they're helping. It's an invitation for a lot of your stuff comes up. So, no, no, wait, we're not done yet. <laughs> Maybe. Don't, don't get ahead of it. You know, allow for the, let's see where this goes. Let's find out if what I say is what you thought I was going to say. Okay. No, it's, I'm not insulted. I'm just, it's, it's moving with life as it happens. So when you're doing a long retreat like that, uh, it's an invitation for certain things that are dormant or latent to come out. And some of the things that have come out for me personally uh, have been amazing. Quite. And the whole setup is for that. So the first time I did a long one, right, you assume like uh, you come after the retreat's over, you feel like Mr. Clean. You know, you just sort of, nothing can bother you, you know. And all it takes is 20 minutes in Harvard Square. You know, someone cuts you off or, uh, you know, or gets in front of you somewhere or elbows you and suddenly this stuff starts coming out that didn't come out on the retreat. So I wouldn't set it up. See, that wasn't what you were thinking, was it? Here's what I'm trying to say. No, here's what I'm trying to say. Don't set up a model of how it's supposed to be. That is, retreats get at this, daily life gets at that. It won't work. Life is much more powerful than any of our schemes, including Buddhist schemes and maps and models and so forth. Uh, whatever comes up is what comes up. And so if something very rich comes up on a retreat, wonderful, you work with that. If the retreat is all bliss for three months, great. Uh, if in five minutes you have the fear, of the deepest fear of your life while waiting on the line somewhere uh, in the supermarket, that's where it came up. So you have to you work with it there. If you set up a model of how everything is going to be, that's by and large that's the mind seeking security. It's still trying to figure out every. It wants to control things. Uh, good luck, but we've been doing that already. And if it works, then you wouldn't need to be here. Is that what you were thinking? No. Good. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to be right. <laughs> okay. Uh, but by the way, I, let me um, ask what you want to. But to me personally, it's very important that I have some sense of you understanding these second set of instructions and any uh, snafus that have come up, please don't be shy. Because if you don't tell me, how will I know? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it's about that. Um, it just seemed uh, that doing the second set of instructions, um, there's more fertile ground for thought. Yes. That's right. Um, so I'm just wondering if there's any other way to have that open. Away. I mean, is it just sort of when you try it and then it doesn't work, you go back to the breathing and you try it again and it doesn't work? Well, it's not, it's not, you give it a little bit of time. It's not like a second at a time. But if you open it up and you find that uh, you're getting caught in thought a lot, uh, and typically that will happen, that's why I, what I, I can't say this enough times. Uh, for most of us, it would be a very good idea to spend a lot of time on the simple breath. Simple here doesn't mean I'm not demeaning it. It's putting the mind in a condition so it can do what these second instructions are about. I feel that 
I should tell you what the second, even if you can't do it here, if you want to finish the retreat on just the breath, that's fine. But I'm planting some seeds. So you have some idea where this practice goes. It's not just um, setting an Olympic record of being with the breath uninterruptedly. It isn't. But it's pragmatic. If you open it up and you're with your experience and it's not working, then go back to the breath. So you don't need doctrine or theory. You can see you're getting lost. You're psychologizing. You're uh, thinking, as you pointed out. Uh, things are out of focus and dull and you're getting discouraged. Now, if you can look at the discouragement, then you're still in that field. But typically, it's hard to do. So then uh, go back to the breathing. Sometimes all it takes is a few breaths, in, out, in, out, and the mind is steady again. Sometimes you finish out the whole sitting or the whole day with the breath. That's where the artful part comes in. And again, it takes wisdom. You have to begin to see what you need. You have to guide your own practice. It's artful in that sense. So it's uh, shamatha vipassana. The second part is vipassana. It's vipassana insofar as you're developing insight into impermanence and emptiness of self. I haven't talked about that a little yesterday. Okay. So strictly speaking, you could do that with the breath too. If you focus on the breathing and notice that the breath is impermanent, and we'll, we'll do that this afternoon, then that's a very simple way of also seeing uh, that's an in, then it's an insight practice. And as you go deeply into that, you'll see that breathing is happening, but finally you see you cannot find a breather. There's no breather. You say, well, what do you mean? Uh, I am breathing. That's a thought. I am. Where's the breather? And at the inquiry, you find, I don't know, but breathing is happening. This is a challenge to um, investigate whatever it is you think of as being you. Okay. Does that make sense? Well, uh, there's a lot of overlap. They all came out of the Buddha's original teaching. Dzogchen, Soto Zen. Uh, at the beginning, the instructions are very different and the cultural background is very different. But as you go deeper, of course you leave culture behind. And so they start to, they meet at the same place, yes. Did any of them last? Did any of them last? That's, that's all. I just wanted to establish that. Go ahead. That means you were losing your mindfulness. But you could also look at the pancakes, at the potato pancakes. Okay, but so what? The the brochures, whatever is next. Here's the point. Once you learn how to do this, for example, one incredibly profound practice is, you know, we all form these self-images. Now, there's been for many years talk about having a, a negative self-image and all these practices to get a positive self-image. Okay. From the point of view of, of spiritual work, those are on the way, but any kind of self-image is suffering. 
Suppose you have your wonderful positive self-image, the amount of work to protect it and keep it going there, and then uh, how people don't, they don't see it necessarily how you see yourself, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so eventually, a good part of liberation is noticing how, how your mind constructs images of itself. And it can be seen, and you see it as what it is. It's just an image. It's not you. You objectify yourself and put it out here, like a, a, blur, a blurb in a brochure. You know, or do you see what I'm getting at? So yours, potato pancakes, brochures, um, you could see them for what they are. Then that's perfectly good practice. But if you're getting sucked into them and starting to daydream, then you're not practice anymore. You could go back to the breath, or you could be with whatever the next image is, if there is one. Everything's going to come and go. Uh, okay. See if that's true. Don't believe me. It's, if you believe me, it has no power. You've got to see that these things, their nature is to change. You've got to learn that because as you learn that, that helps let go, help you let go dramatically. That you can't, if things are changing and you are trying to keep freeze the world, you're going to really begin to see how much unnecessary suffering comes from that. Right. I, I mean, I know I can understand that more and more deeply. Okay. That's one option. The other is to look at the dream equality itself. One, okay. Yeah. Well, then one That's all right. Is a thought I had while I was doing this was that it seems like um, not totally, but to a certain Not totally? Well, not, I didn't just didn't hear the word. Not totally to- was what I said. Uh-huh. No, you said something after totally. I didn't hear it. I'm uh, sorry. Okay, just just say taste. It's not, I don't know if it's just practice, it's life. They're, the reason we might turn to them more is they're more accessible. For example, a sound is an easy one to learn the law of impermanence on. Uh, and it's so easy to see it just comes and goes, it's effortless, you know, like blah, 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 blah. Uh, once you start getting in, the, the co- more coarse objects are easier to, to be mindful of. The more refined ones are the mind itself, and they have the most power. So, but eventually, Everything's observable. That's what sets us free, okay, so including very, very subtle objects. You can. It's both. That is, uh, uh, here's the point. Uh, it takes a while for the mind to get quiet enough to be able to hear thought as thought. I hear it, but when I go into it. There's no need to, you don't have to, what do you mean by go into it? Think about it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
What do you mean, go? Okay, yeah, so, okay. Look, let's say you have the thought, I hate this. You, you, you had that. Okay, and that has a bodily expression in contraction. Okay, uh, that's more accessible to be aware of because it's a more coarse. Coarse here is not derogatory, just descriptive. So you, it's easier to begin with to, to uh, meditate on the bodily expression of fear, of uh, disco- anything. But eventually you'll be able to, to go right to the source itself, thinking. And you're able to be mindful of the thought. Yeah. It's just whatever is there. A thought is an object just like that sound. It's just it's a very subtle one. And we're, we have tremendous conditioning to identify with our thoughts. Oh, tremendous. I, I had a thing in my head that a thought comes, but the way to be with it... Okay. The way to be with it is what? Uh, let's try... Let's say... Uh, no, it's just, it's like listening. Let, let's say there's an important conversation you're having with someone you really care about and they have something to tell you and it's a long-distance phone call from Europe, okay? And you're really, so you're really listening. You only have a few minutes and you're really listening, okay? So you hear everything they're saying. Maybe it's a, whoever it is. Uh, so you've done that, right? I think everyone here has sometimes listened very carefully. Okay, now supposing that call is coming from your own mind. You're listening to the mind unfold. It's, it's, it's going on all the time. Eventually you get quiet enough to hear those thoughts. And uh, part of why we can't do it is the mind's not quiet enough or concentrated enough. The other part is we've had so much practice believing in our thoughts. So one useful reflection is, did you know that thoughts were just thoughts? That's all they are. Okay, now, as we start to reflect on that, it's not that thoughts are worthless, your question. They're extraordinarily important, they're necessary for civilized life, but they're just thoughts, they then lead to action. Fine, then if it's gone, though, that means it's left and you then, then pursue it in the body. But, you know, the, sometimes when it gets that strong, we devise little antidotes made in America. This, I didn't, we didn't learn any of this in Asia. Let's say I hate it. Was that the one you just mentioned? Okay, and, you, and it's obsessive. Okay, everyone get your own obsessive one. Just start counting them. You know, like, I hate it, one. I hate it, two. I hate it, three. When you get up to about 24, 25, you'll roll over from laughter. It's a, just a complete broken record. Okay, that's, can, can you do that in walking meditation? Or do you Why not? Okay, right. This isn't a, a concentration. It is a concentration camp, but not that kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is it med- No. Uh, when you say I'm not a crier by nature, obviously I don't know you at all. But what you're saying is familiar to me. Um, I don't think meditation is putting the crying into you. I think what it's doing is 
you're beginning to see some need to do some crying. And uh, just as it could come out in psychotherapy, it can come out as you get quiet, something that you've not been, some, some of us have been brought up to not cry. Or however we've learned that we've, it's very hard for us to cry. So once you start, uh, this is a meltdown. Once you sit for long, if we kept going for a few more days, you'll see your defenses will start to melt down. Now you have to be ready to then work with what comes up, and that's what we're doing. We're trying to get in shape so that uh, when whatever brings up the crying comes up, that you'll be right able to be there with it so that you can get to the source of why you're crying. There's some sadness or whatever it is. So I would say it's probably more like that. We're not trying to keep anything from intruding. That's it. Yeah, it's hopeless. Give up the fight. Yeah. Okay. Are you awake? Yes. yes. Very good. Uh, it's hard. You know, it sounds like you might be. What I'm concerned about is being happy doesn't mean that you're awake. It doesn't. You know, uh, we've, well, happiness is part of life. Happiness comes and goes. Sadness comes and goes. Awakeness is awakeness. And it can be awake to whatever is there, including happiness. In fact, that's what we're learning. That brings us to an even deeper happiness. Okay. So that if you're able to sit and be aware of the flow of sounds, and just as you put it, and you're really practicing and hearing them the way you were feeling the breath, then that's fine. I shouldn't be trying to pick out one special sound. No. Not necessarily. Uh, but sometimes one will pick you out. You know, like, uh, let's say... Okay, uh, you have the freedom to kind of, let's say, let me, I'm going to use this, yeah, yes, I'm going to use this silly analogy again. Let's say you're in a small town, and most, you know most people, they walk by, and it's just a little high, 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 and then someone they knew comes in. And maybe you walk over, and you see they're a little puzzled, and you say, can I help you? Are you new in town? And you give much more focus and attention. So sometimes, yes, you have the freedom to allow that flow to just come and go, and now and then to inquire more deeply into something. Usually it's no mystery when you're doing that. It's something very strong is happening. So, yes, yeah. Your mind is free. You are free. That's the, the, we're learning how to freely observe our experience in the second mode. Now, we've had a lot of exp uh, training not being free. So we're learning how to do that. And also to be able to come back and... They're two very different skills, as you can see, but they're related. It's to come back and just take one thing and stay with that. Now, let me give you a sense of how they're related in many ways, but this is a vital one. If you can learn to be with the breath, in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out, not only does your mind get calm, but you're developing the ability for the mind to be unwavering. And if you do it enough, you can transfer that ability anywhere. 
not just in special places, but in life. It's a, it's a tremendous asset to be able to put your attention where it's needed and to keep it there for as long as it's needed. Okay, now in the second set, we've now opened everything up. Now, okay, fine. Uh, some people hate it. Everyone's different. You can work back and forth. You may be doing more of that, but you have to watch out. You're not just drifting. You know. Um, but now some of the quality that we've learned with that in, out, in, out, in, out uh, is equipping the mind to be more steady and sensitive with that moving field of objects, which are changing all the time. And so it's that kind of back and forth. Yes. Exactly. Yes. ripens into no practice. Where the point is, at some point, 
let me give you a, a quote from one teacher I worked with who the Burmese use a lot of methods, a lot of technology, and you can work for years and years, and it's very meticulous and almost bureaucratically regulated and systematic. And you, know, and then one day uh, you walk in and say, "Okay, what's the practice?" And you say, "Like, how do I know?" Now the point is, of course, years of practice have gone by, so no help at all. I say, "Well, should it be blah blah blah?" He says, "I don't know." The teacher refuses to help you. Okay, so that means. You're throwing away all the methods and techniques. They're just like rafts that get you somewhere, or crutches when your leg is broken, or training wheels when you need them, or uh, you know, uh, what do you, when you, children learn to swim, water wings, and so forth. Uh, when the mind starts becoming really awake, why do you need all this stuff? The, the practice is wakefulness itself. Now, someone like Krishnamurti starts there. Okay. And it's very hard to do. Um, Soto Zen, just sitting of Dogen, it's talking about that, but they give you years of other things to do. They may not appear in books, but you get it. And the same with Dzogchen. You asked about Dzogchen. It's a Tibetan practice that's similar, uh, where they say, no effort, just uh, observe your innate perfection. Good luck if you're just starting out. <laughs> so. In the meantime, what you're doing is hundreds of thousands of prostrations and mantras and guru worship. and So there's a lot of other things that are kind of equipping the mind to not need any of this stuff anymore. So you're doing fine. So what we're doing, what I'm calling choiceless awareness, is kind of... Um, it's simulated. It's like a video game. You know, airplane pilots, they learn on a video and you know, then finally they get into a real plane. But it's not a waste of time. Uh, and the day comes and you're getting glimpses of it, and maybe some of you have had, perhaps. It can happen at any time. Suddenly, the first time it happened to me is I was trying so hard, sitting after sitting after sitting, the way you are, and not getting anywhere, in quotes, very, very much. And then the bell rang and the sitting was over, so I wasn't officially meditating. And then suddenly, uh, it was just really nice, because it, there wasn't so much me, the meditator, trying to get the perfect sitting in. Um, so let it unfold, yes. I think we're going to have to... Uh, could we have a, just a few moments of silence? And I know this will generate generates a lot of questions and I hope that before you leave, at least on a verbal level, all this will be clear. And, uh, and then, you know, you, have eno you know enough to when you get home to, to practice what's most fruitful for you. Sit again. There'll be an opportunity for us to talk over the practice after this sitting.
all the different Buddhist schools <clears throat> have different maps, slightly different maps of the mind, different models of what our predicament is and what we have to do to free ourselves. But what they agree upon is that the heart of the practice of certainly a Vipassana, Zen and similar Tibetan practices, Mahamudra, Dzogchen and so forth, is the practice of liberation through non-clinging. Very often, even people new to the path think of liberation as something far off and far away, as some dramatic and radical transformation. And so in a sense we put up with all this stuff, hurt knees and lower backs and sleepiness and sitting and walking, sitting and walking, for some incredible reward that perhaps we'll get off in the future. And though it's true that there are different degrees of intensity to what we call liberation and the scope of what we're free from can enlarge, of course, the practice of liberation through non-clinging is something that you do from moment to moment. The psychology of the Buddha is a psychology of momentariness. We keep examining, attending to, being mindful of, aware of. How we're experiencing our life from breath moment to breath moment. And so in a given moment, if you find yourself clinging, attaching to something, perhaps there's a worry in the mind. You're worried about something and now it's the mind is turning towards home perhaps. And something that's unresolved which we were able to more or less drop during the week is now becoming more vivid and prominent. And so the mind starts worrying. We could just push that away sidestep it, squelch it in some form, deny it, repress it, no more worry. We could also identify with it, in which case we make it into my worry and that worry is happening to me. And so the, the energy of worry which is taking up a certain moment are the materials out of which we strengthen, reinforce, nourish the sense of a separate me, a separate ego, to whom everything is happening. 
from whom everything gets done. That wouldn't be practice either. We could turn to the breath or a mantra to take our mind off the worry. We become absorbed enough in the, war, in the breath. The mind becomes calm and clear and fresh. And we're not afflicted. There's no vexation in that moment. We've transferred our attention to something worrisome, to the breathing. It's like switching channels from TV, from channel worry to channel breath. That is a kind of practice as long as you know what you're doing. That is, it's not in the service of denial or repression. Sometimes worry is very, very massive, powerful. And you try to become aware of it or mindful of it, but find that it's a bit much. You can't do it. Like that big rock that's blocking you from passing on a road. So sometimes it can be skillful to temporarily pull over to the side of the road, so to speak, and strengthen your attention, your calm, your ability to concentrate with a simple mindful breathing. Perhaps then the mind feels a little bit more fresh, steady, clear. And then you sit in a more open way, and now the worry comes up, and perhaps now you're able to observe it. Observing worry, the worrying mind or that energy of worrying, is not repressing it. It's also not identifying and drowning in it. It's allowing this energy of worry to flower, to unfold, to follow its own nature. It's a mind state. And then there's a tension which meets this mind state and moves with it. So at first, perhaps the worry is vivid, and then attention allowing that worrying mind to exist. Observe as it come to a peak and then start to wither, lose its energy and finally fall away, drop away. If we do this mindfully, then that is very good practice. We're not trying to annihilate our worries, we're not trying to deny them, nor are we totally preoccupied with them, surrounded, encased. So the, the worry is experienced consciously. Moreover, we see that it's impermanent. It's something that once wasn't, in a certain moment, something else was there. Now it, it's as if it's born, it emerges, it operates for a while.